You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. So good, they call you a fake. How to command attention, monetize your talent stack, and become the uncontested authority in your niche. Josh Lisek, he's come on the podcast before. He talked about the art of ghostwriting. He basically has ghostwritten 78 books, all by people who are experts in their field, and he helped them basically become so good, they call you a fake. And, and it's really true that sometimes people demonstrate such expertise in something, whether it's writing, building a business, or even being a dentist, lawyer, or whatever, that people think there's something else going on, that there's there's some fakery going on. And what I like about this podcast, because I have him on because of the book, and he, this book is so good, they call you a fake. He basically didn't hold back. A lot of times authors will hold back. They don't want to say everything because they want you to buy the book. Josh answered every question. You should still buy the book because there's a lot I didn't ask about, but here's Josh. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. All right, so good they call you a fake by Josh Lisek. Josh, how's it going? Pretty dandy, James. Thank you. Glad to be here. And last time you were on, we talked a lot about your very, very successful career as a ghostwriter. You've written 78 books, or at least at that point. I love how on the first page of So Good They'll Call You Fake, you have someone tweeting at you, and I'm going to read it out loud. The tweet is, dude, you'll likely block me for this, but you know you didn't personally write 78 books. We know you didn't personally write 78 books. Why keep claiming you wrote 78 books? It's just weird. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your point is, and I've experienced this also in my writing, it, the, sometimes the, the more you tell the truth when you have had an amazing story and an amazing life, people are always going to say it's fake or you made it up. That's correct. When you're so good that people are calling you a fake, a fraud, a cheat, a liar, a scammer, that's how you know you've made it. You're, you've got something special. Why did this guy not believe that you wrote 78 books? So like, for instance, I've written 25 books and you write books, you know, you're a ghostwriter, you write books like every day. So like, I, I could believe, if you told me you wrote 200 books, I would believe you. Yes, and there's people I know that have written more than 130, 140, 150 uh, books, and it really comes down to their process. Everything is systematizable. When you have a step-by-step -step with no step skipped system, uh, it can be relatively easy to create what seem to other people like unbelievable claims of miracle working. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting because you have this experience in two different ways. One is you've done a miracle, you've written 78 books, and that's why this guy was calling you a fake or a liar. The other is, is that you've written, you've ghostwritten books uh, for amazing, successful people. You've seen genius at work and and the commonalities of all these people who have done such amazing quote unquote miracles this book now you have a whole 
you've, you've realized what it takes to be a genius in an industry and then be successful at being a genius in an industry. So is that the basis of this book? Am I describing it correctly? That's 100% accurate. Yes. It's a, a combination of not what I have been able to do in myself and my own career as a ghostwriter, but a ghostwriter works on behalf of other people. The type of people that come to me are deep experts in their niche, in their space, at their thing. But the trouble is they have not quite been able to leverage a system, leverage productization in order to, frankly, uh, monetize their expertise. And they're not really right. authorities, many of them. They are, quote unquote, the best kept secret in their space. And they're tired of people who have optimized for revenue over results. Meanwhile, they're focusing on being good at what they do and helping and helping people as much as they can. But they're charging 150 bucks a session. Their competitors are charging 15000 and requiring a six-month agreement. But because those people are advertising and they're doing all the funnels and they're doing the retargeting and they're doing uh, short-form content and they're doing all the viral stuff, they're the ones who are making all the money, even though they are not getting any results close to the miracles that are being worked by, frankly, the no-names. And it's those people that I am most uh, interested in helping monetize. So you help these the so-called no-names who are, who are miracle workers, who are geniuses, to basically, you know, you give them the tools to monetize. Like you ghostwrite their books, you help them make a course, you help them market, all this kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. But the key is not just writing the book, not just creating the course, not just building the coaching and consulting offers and that sort of thing. We realize that the sort of results they've been able to create are so good, they're called a fake by normies or by haters or by anonymous trolls and critics online. And that's the reason why they have not self-promoted more. I don't want to be called a fake. That's an affront to me. I, I, I've poured 25 years of my life into this work. I don't want to lose my license or lose this or being unable to afford so they'll stay hidden in the in the shadows and they won't write their book and they'll still charge 150 bucks a session. They'll give it away for they'll help for free as their side hustle while they have a an 8 to 5 where they grow their their uh, their meager uh, meager side hustle income. Uh, but what this book is it's a reframe. It's the idea that you can become an energy monster and thrive on all kinds of attention and you want people to call you a fake. Haters cultivated organically are the best marketers you could possibly find. And so Getting that gets you attention. Attention from haters, trolls, and critics, yes, but also from people who see your courage, who see your bravery despite the hate. And they say, wow, this is the person. They, they see the cartoonishly fake veneer, hence the picture of the Mona Lisa with the Groucho Marx disguise glasses. At a glance, you look cartoonishly fake. When they look closer, they realize you're the real deal. And so I wish I had talked to you about this 10 years ago, honestly. Like I... He, I had grappled with this so much, but let's talk about a specific example. You have so many great stories in the book. Give me a specific example of genius, genius systematized, and then your work with this person. Yes, one of the most common ones that I talk about is Dr. Philip Ovedia's book, Stay Off My Operating Table. It's, been, it's won yeah. several awards. It's, it's about 20,000 copies sold in about a year and a half. Which Great title, Stay Off My Operating Table. Yes. And there's a couple of chapters where we, where we go into that particular uh, example of that book. Tell us more. Tell me more. Uh, tell me his story. It was a great story. Yes. So Dr. Philip Ovedia is a, is a cardiothoracic surgeon, performed over 3,000 heart surgeries. So this is an individual who has the deep expertise. We began working together. He had about 1,500 Twitter followers and like combined followers, not even the presence on other uh, platforms. But he came to me and he wanted to share his story. He wanted to 
teach people about the link between their metabolic health and heart health because he was often operating on people who you would not think would need an open heart surgery. What was the instigating incident that made him realize he needed to do something? Yes. And that story, of course, is in the book. I think it's the beginning of chapter, yeah. somewhere in chapter two, where yeah. he was operating on a 38-year-old uh, woman, Dr. Philip Avedia was, and she passed away on his operating table at 38 years old, had a couple of children. And as doctors will do, he had a conversation with the family afterwards, and they were shocked, uh, appalled, horrified, and mortified that this has happened. And it was then that he realized, okay, he needs to talk to people about diet and what they eat, because he'd found out that there's significant nutritional illiteracy amongst the sort of people who need a heart surgery. Like, I can't just eat, you know, hungry man meals and food out of, um, uh, you know, pa packages and carrot cake isn't a vegetable, really. And he was surprised that this is the current state of nutritional uh, literacy in America. He wanted to solve this problem so that they would not need heart surgery, that they would be able to stay off his operating table, given the title of the book. But he had all manner of, of ideas and insights and lessons. And I learned this thing from this person. I learned this over here. And this is my own story. And it was kind of a hodgepodge, a mismatch of, uh, of ideas and stories and experiences that needed to be documented in one place and ordered so that anyone could pick up the book, grasp his worldview, have their beliefs replaced where it made sense before they got to any particular advice and then give people multiple paths in order to implement the advice. And so we call it Dr. Philip Avedia's metabolic health system. And there's a course we created that's actually called that, but it also appears inside the book as well. And, and you made the point at this time that geniuses have a system. They systematize what they do. And what you were doing was basically helping him kind of verbalize what that system was as, as you did with all of your clients and, and many stories in the book. But okay, I just wanted to say that what people are learning by listening to this is that if you want to be a genius, you want to be considered a genius, you want to be so good they call you fake, is that take that expertise, systematize it, and then figure out how to write it and the stories and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And the way to systematize is to work backwards from the end state, from, from what looks to people like a miracle. Like there's no way that's possible. And an example of that, there's an individual that's mentioned in the book, a reviewer and a customer of, uh, of Dr. Ovedia's in which they mentioned they lost a significant amount of uh, belly weight over the weekend by a few simple diet changes learned from the book. Over and the weekend? In a weekend, yes. Like I think like Thursday right, night I'm through like Monday weekend. morning. And that, that level of, uh, of, of weight loss and inches off the waist, it, according to the experts, takes 28 days. So it's like, psh, no way that happened. That's a lie. That's a scam. Fraud. No way that happened. He's a quack. And oh, Dr. Vady realized that that is exactly what he wants. He wants to. He wants the attention of experts and competitors calling him a fake. And there's no way that that actually happened. Like, look at this liar over here. People are losing this much weight. What? You can lose that much weight? It's kind of like when the Viagra pill was first marketed, and they would say, uh, if you're experiencing an erection lasting more than four hours, I can be for four hours. Whoa! <laughs> and that warning was in fact a sales pitch. Do you think Pfizer planned that? Yes. <laughs> As a marketing? I, in my opinion, yes. That's so funny. All right, sorry, so go, go ahead. Yes, but the point is starting with the end in mind. So like to get a result like that, where you're able to lose a significant amount of weight in inches over a weekend, that's the ultimate outcome that's achieved. One of the outcomes, of course. The, the, the major one from his perspective is, you don't need me to slice your chest open with a handsaw 
<laughs> That's kind of a dramatic outcome. Like, I don't want that, right? Um, but working backwards, what happened before that? What happened before that? What happened before that? There's a metaphor that I use of Lego sets, right? How yeah. a child can build a sophisticated castle or a spaceship or a robot that works and all the gear mechanisms work. Kids can't do that unless they have a system. And of course, back in the 1990s, it was called Lego System. It was the brand that was marketed, Lego sets were. So imagine on the box, you see the end result, the outcome, the cool thing to build. Now, if you were to have that, well, okay, what comes before that? Well, the end product, 100% completely built set. Well, you might remove one of the lights. Okay, what, what now it comes off. And then imagine taking apart a Lego set. This is what you must do with your results. This is, a, this is what, how, how it, uh, you can create a system for genius. Your fallen metaphor, your results are the Lego set. Now remove one piece at a time and document everything you're doing step-by-step step in reverse. And then now you've got yourself, flip it back around, you now have a step-by-step -step with no step skipped system in order to go from 500 pieces all across the floor to a beautiful castle that a six-year-old or a five-year-old can build by following those instructions step-by-step step with no step skipped. And I realized that this process has to come before writing, goes writing a book. And this is my, the, the, my contribution to the world is I don't just write books. I do all the stuff that comes before that in order for the book to be so good. Any internet stranger can use it and get the results, even if they don't have a conversation with you. But it's the results they get that will inspire them to want to purchase your course and to get your coaching offer and your consulting. And that's how the book has been such a boon for Dr. Ovedia's business. And he's been wildly financially successful beyond all anticipation because of the system that the, built, that, that the book teaches and the course teaches. And he can walk people through as part of his coaching, part of his consulting. You have this one product that now can be, uh, be multiplied. He has leverage now because he has a system. If you just have a book with a bunch of random and vague ideas, people will read it and they'll say, I felt so inspired, James, but I don't know what to do next exactly. How, how do I do this? And that's the number one most common review on self-help books. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, and like in your book, you have a chapter, uh, the genius system design table where you lay it out. You say like the genius system, step, step one is what the promise of the system is. Genius system, step two, all the steps with you know, all the steps of the system basically. And then genius system design step three, perceptible value. So talk about that and talk about how you did it with either Dr. Ovedia or pick someone else or whatever. Yes. And so we were, when we were, before we even wrote a single chapter, before we laid out the table of contents, I asked him, what do you want people to, to be able to know or do or do differently after this book? And he joked, well, I, I don't want to have to operate on them. <laughs> I said, oh, so stay off the operating table. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then there's the title of the book. That's the Excellent. promise. So, the, so the, this, is, this, is, this is binary. There's a few things in life that are actually black and white. And for people who want to maximally monetize their expertise, this is one of the things that is black and white. How do people okay. know your stuff worked? That answer to that question, well, because they got this result. In Dr. Ovedia's case, well, I, they don't need heart surgery. That's pretty stark. You either need your uh, sternum sawed open uh, in half, or you don't need that. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't have that outcome. Or you don't even make it to the hospital because of, uh, of a cardiac event. But look at in, in business coaching, in divorce law, life coaching, 
management consulting, software as a service, uh, you know, marketing uh, startup. How do people know that the thing worked? Well, it either did this or it didn't. Okay, then what you're going to do is you're going to promise people that they're going to get this specific result. Now, this is where I lose beginners because they say, well, I don't know what results I can actually help people get. I, I haven't done that experience yet. I say that this book is not for beginners. This book is for people who've already gotten results, who know how good they are, but the world doesn't. <laughs> although, although it could be the case that someone, you know, might not think that they're a genius, but then when they really think about it in this systematized way, they realize, oh, I have helped people and I have helped people in consistent ways. And this is how I did it. Yes. Yes, definitely. And then like with, uh, with uh, Dr. Avedia, he had been a heart surgeon, but he hadn't been in business for himself. Like with the, he wanted to launch a telehealth practice and use the book to do that. There's other people I mentioned in the book that they were towards the beginning of either of their career or they were transitioning from one, let's say, vertical industry to another. But they had already had the deep expertise. And it's usually people who don't have any self-doubt at all that I, I see that as a, as a red flag. And it's people who are humble, frankly. Who have a little bit of Dun the Dunning Kruger effect, uh, the Dunning Kruger syndrome, the imposter syndrome? Those people are the are the real deal. I'm talking about the sort of people who who cold message me on Twitter. Say, Joshua, I just graduated from uh, from uh, high school. Uh, I think I want to earn a hundred thousand dollars ghostwriting a book. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> just start writing books. Actually, that would be the advice I give that guy. Yes. And that's, that's, that's an excellent piece of advice is whatever you want to do for people will do it for yourself first. Actually get yeah. the result, or you will be a fake. Not, not you'll call it a fake. You'll actually be a fake. Well, and actually like in terms of writing books, like, I don't know your, your, I mean, we've talked before about it, but like my experience was I had to write like three or four awful books that never got published, never saw the light of day before I even started to be halfway decent at writing a sentence. So yes. So, but you're right. You have to just do things in order to be good at things. Yes. And that's when, once you, once you're good at something, whether you've gotten paid for it or not, that's when you can begin the documenting process. You have yeah. this, you have this beautiful result. Okay. Well, working backwards, what had to happen in order for that in state to be achieved, whether it's a transformation in you know health or wealth or wellness or business or, or whatever your industry is, what is that fantastic result that you can promise other people within Federal Trade Commission guidelines <laughs> and what's allowed, yeah. what's allowed by law. Uh, don't want to get in trouble there. But then working backwards, what a lot of people do, and I have a couple of examples of how not to do it inside so good they call you a fake, is they will just throw up the promise. Look, you, by purchasing my product or my book or hiring me for my services, you'll get this amazing result. And what they actually get, the consumer, is a hodgepodge of inspirational stories and tired advice with cliches and you should try this and maybe this will work for you or this you know or just do it i can't want it more than you do you need to just try harder and and the promise is only reached by people who are going to make it anyway and it's those people's testimonials that are all over the sales page for the product mm. and so you've got 99 mm. of people it's a complete waste of money for what they can find for free on Google or YouTube is superior to whatever is in that $5,000 course. Sorry, excuse for a course, really. And the people who are in it, we're going to make it anyway. So really, we're, like this is where it gets to step two, which is list all the steps of your process. Exactly, exactly. And often some of those steps are belief changes. 
information, knowledge that people have. So in uh, Dr. Philip Avedia's case, we can't just get right to, okay, here's what you should eat. Because that's what everybody wants, right? But you have to give them what they need as well. And one of the things people need to understand is how the healthcare system is optimized for subscriptions, sometimes called prescriptions. Really what they are is uh, subscriptions to symptom management. And so that's how the money is made. To alleviate a symptom, to quote-unquote cure, how are you going to pay for all that R&D you did on those drugs? That money has to come from somewhere. And so by teaching people the way the system really works, they can begin to, number one, distrust what terrible advice they've been getting from mainstream doctors. And number two, they can take their health into their own hands, which are requirements for the advice he's going to dispense later on. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. But let me ask you a question. Like, this is almost a question for Peter Ovedia, but this is how, why you're so good at like ghostwriting his stuff. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that most doctors are maliciously, like, like doctors know eat healthy is a good way to stay healthy. So do you think they're being malicious? Like what's the average doctor do that's wrong in terms of giving health advice? Well, what, what, something that Dr. Vadia points out, uh, first of all, is that, and this is one of those beliefs that like people need to know. So this is part of that, the system, the step-by-step system, beliefs and behaviors, both, both of those things. And one of the beliefs that's a step in his system is understanding the fact that doctors in medical school get about uh, one class session's worth of nutrition uh, advice and understanding of what that actually uh, is. But isn't it common sense, though, that good nutrition is good for you? Like you and I know it, so how come these doctors don't know it? That's a good question. That's a good question. What Dr. Vedia points out is the advice that they give is often what's in alignment with guidelines. So they, oh, well, here's what here's what this says. You know, here's mm-hmm. here's what you should here's what you should do. Like food pyramid stuff. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay, well, lots of lots of bread and you know, lots of bread at the bottom. The grains are really important. Oh, okay, I'll get lots of grains. And then what does the average like go look at the the average person's shopping cart? Some people are following the advice. Other people are, think they're following the uh, the advice, and so everything is white flour, enriched, you know, uh, bleached. Like, oh, okay, well, this this is good, but there's a disconnect between prevention of what they're experiencing and treatment of it. And what Doctor Vidya points out is, so often when people are coming to doctors, it's it's way too late in the process for for a lot of people. And it's like, uh, you you really need to change your dietary habits. And it's like, well, can you just give me a pill? Yeah, here's a here's a prescription I can offer you. So right now, there is this really big, exciting thing about a, a drug, I believe it's called uh, semaglutide. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But it's a weight loss pill. Weight loss pill. Give me that weight loss pill. And so we're now seeing a lot of doctors are prescribing a weight loss pill because it's all about subscriptions. And of course... This is a perfect product market fit because people need to stay on it long term because if they go off it, it is said, not only will their symptoms get back to where they were, but they will significantly worsen. Mm. That's, that's a perfect product market fit. It's a subscription mm. product. Right. And, it, and it's not malicious uh, intent. Dr. Vedi points out, physicians have 5, 10, 
minutes, maybe tops, to try to convey all of this information to a patient before the next one comes along. So the incentive structure is, uh, is not great for the doctors or for the patients. And this is why Dr. Beatty has opened up a telehealth clinic, so that he can have extended hour, two-hour-long conversations with people. And he would go over their blood work and tell them what every single number means and what it's likely going to lead to. Two hours with, with someone. You can't, you can't get that inside of the system. And it's fantastic what, what he's able to offer. And that's the direction that he wants people to go. But before anyone is going to be willing to spend two hours with a doctor, pay out of pocket for advice like this, go over their blood work, and not go through the system, there's a lot that they need to understand about what's going on in their body, what specific food does to them. And so that's why the beliefs, in his case, all have to come first, and they're really part of the system. And in hypnosis, it's called the chain of beliefs, where they're like dominoes. If you believe this, then the next thing that you can believe is this. After that, the next thing that's, that's believable for you is this. You just line them all up, knock them all down, all the way to the end result of now their behaviors have changed. Is that what a hypnotist does? Like, what does a hypnotist do? That's what a hypnotist does. So I'm, 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 as far as I know, I'm the only certified professional ghostwriter and certified hypnotist in the world. And, I, and, and, and it boggles my mind because they're one and the same. My opinion is that books are long-form hypnosis scripts because you're changing beliefs to drive new behaviors, right. which is what a hypnosis session, uh, frankly, is. In a hypnosis session, you need to have rapport. The, people, the person needs to trust you, that they understand you get me. And often that means at the very outset of the chapter of the book, the first chapter of the book, the very opening of the session, the hypnotist or the author, but I repeat myself, I must deliver what's called a yes set, which is a series of facts or statements or questions that a hypnotist author knows are true for the reader. What's an example of that? Like, let's say I'm giving a talk about something. What would be three yes statements I can use? So one technique I've used a lot is opening with three questions. Have you ever, and then you ask a question that you know the answer to that is yes for the reader. Well, what about- so let's say I'm talking about entrepreneurship. Like, have you ever wanted to start your own business? Have you ever wanted yes. to have financial freedom? Have you ever wanted to be recognized for helping millions of people with something you made? Oh, that's a perfect example of a yes set. And, and, the, and the broader, the broader, the better. So that way you could get more people going, oh, yeah. So like the rule of three, yes, that, 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 that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. And then what's next for a hypnotist? Yes. So once you've got that, that would be like the hook, the pull them in a little bit. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention now. This, this is relevant for me. I'm tuned in. Because if it's not relevant, if not tuned in, then the suggestions aren't going to take and their mind's going to be wandering and stressed out about something else. So what I, what I do, and I don't, I don't think I say this in the book, but what I do is I take the structure of a hypnosis session and I, I t point out that this is a structure that your opening chapter of your book needs to follow, where you've got the hook that, that pulls them in and says, okay, I'm engaged now. And then from there, you need to point out what it is that they're struggling with that you are going to help them resolve. Basically, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for me is it helping you with this issue. And that's where you would talk about the, the problem. So with your example, James, of have you ever, do you want to, wouldn't it be neat if, like, well, yeah, of course. And then you would just go to, but... And then you would lay out what the problem is. But like, you have okay, a, these things a you job want. that takes 90 hours a week, so you feel you don't have time, but you're worried about the mortgage and the bills and so on, so stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. And you lay out, okay, oh well, yeah, that's true for me as well, mm -hmm. right? 
So the, the idea is to keep as many people as possible going, oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's happening. For me, it's relevant. You know? And by the way, this is also perfect for sales pages, the same structure. And, and realize that the most effective persuaders have the same templates for everything. So a hypnosis session, the opening chapter of a book, and a sales page. It is all the same structure, or it could be, or it ought to be, rather, because they're all buying something. They're buying a new belief and new behaviors, or they're buying reading the rest of the book, or they're buying the product itself to, to use it and get value from it. So after you lay out the problem, so people realize, oh, that's why. Okay, this person's going to help me with this. You need to agitate. You need to agitate. Now, problem agitation solution is, is a tried and true copywriting formula. But part of this larger structure, you understand why it works and what else has to be part of it. So after you've laid out the problem, agitate. Make people feel it. Let them, in a multisensory way, see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, smell it even. Why and in what ways is this a problem? Multisensory persuasion. So you lay out, oh, you got 90 hours. Okay, that's you know, to 90 hours a week, that's really hard. Okay, that's a problem. But how do they know it's a problem? This is where you can begin to like draw on, on memories and allow people to assign things that they've actually done, seen, said, and heard and felt to what you're talking about right here. So they go, oh, he's reading my mind. He knows, he knows. So you could say, like maybe your spouse said this to you, or you heard your kids say this, or when your boss was talking, you felt this. And you can call up those actual sensory experiences because the senses are based in the subconscious mind. That's where they're rooted. So once you can just reach into someone's mind by tapping into sensory memories, you you've got them. <laughs> this is like this, this is a, an advanced technique, but it works so well. Once you get to this point, pulling out people's memories and memories, of course, are sort of the subconscious. So now you've you, got. How do you know what the memories are? Are you just saying that most people have similar? ways of, of encountering a problem. Yes. And you want to be vague. And a good example of vague, I'm going to borrow from novelists. The best novelists gives hardly, give hardly any information at all about the setting, about the characters. They just drop a couple of adjectives to describe the, the look and the feel of the place. They know that you give people just enough to imagine their own character in their own heads. They have ownership of that character. They see what that character looks like, as opposed to overly descriptive descriptions that amateur uh, first-time uh, novelists and fiction writers tend to go into, where they will describe how many how many strands of hair are on the girl's face and exactly the, the look of and shape of her chin and her nose was this long and she said this high, her shoulders this wide, uh, she was carrying a bag that was this color, and all this detail. We don't need any of that. That's anti-persuasive. What you want are, she looked as if she was about to, and then give a description of, oh, okay, I've seen that before. I know what she looks like now. Maybe a little bit of color, just enough for people to imagine and kind of create their own character. This, by the way, is why people prefer, most often, they prefer the novel to the movie because they already had the character created in their head. Ah, yeah. Because the novelist gave just enough information for them to make the, make the character their own. And then when they see someone else's version of it, that's not what that character looks like. That's not how they behave. Because the novelist gave just enough information. It's kind of like those uh, activities for kids where it's numbered lines and you have to take your, your pencil and you have to draw from one to the next and like you fill in the picture. It's kind of like that. You allow the person's brain to fill in the picture. So when you're agitating about the problem with your audience, with your readers, with your, with your patient, with your customers reading your uh, sales page, what we want to do is to 
give multi-sensory call-outs, but not be overly specific. Your boss, who is this, who is just like this, he sounded like this, oh, and it was a he, your boss said this to you, these exact words, you're sitting in your cubicle, and you're sitting at your computer, you have two Macs, like, oh, that's way too descriptive. Right. That's like an amateur novelist, <laughs> right? So don't, like an amateur, don't write like an amateur novelist, write like a pro. And really, the point of this is not, I mean, it almost sounds like we're evil talking about this, like how to how to manipulate people into doing what we want. But the point is, like, even take Dr. Ovedia, for instance, he really wants people to be healthy, but he's got to go through four or five decades of brainwashing. Like, so he might, in this case, using him as an example, he might say something like, everybody around you has been eating Doritos since you were a kid. Of course, you're going to join in or, or whatever he says. He's just going to, he's going to kind of call on their, that blame their environment and maybe the way they grew up or whatever on their bad health situation, which probably many people can relate to. Yes. The most persuasive, I, I, I say this elsewhere. I, I point out that the most persuasive statements are absolute truths that people know are true. And so it is difficult to manipulate most people most of the time effectively. And politicians know this. This is why they get hyper niched down with their campaigns. They, they try, try to manipulate a particular niche or a mm. sub niche with manipulative messaging. They try to capture different ones because it's difficult to unethically persuade everyone with falsehoods because enough people realize, wait a second, this person's pulling my leg here. But when you have the best interest in mind, you can tell the truth. And when anyone doesn't resonate with it, you don't mind. You don't have to sell everyone. You don't have to persuade everyone. You're just looking for the people who resonate. There'll be people who are like, what are you talking about? I wear a continuous, continuous glucose monitor. I, eat, I, I don't eat any carbohydrates at all beyond 50 grams a day. And I you know, walk 25,000 steps a day. Doritos, what are you talking about? So that person's not in his market. And that's okay. So he, he doesn't need that person to buy his product. Okay, what's next? So after the uh, agitation, this is where you introduce a solution. This is the, and I can take it all away. And there's a better way. And I found the way. And that was me. And then and that's what uh, Dr. Dr. Avedia does. So he transitions in the opening chapter of his book from the agitation to the introduction of the solution, where it's his story is often the story of his patients. So he, he knows in mind who exactly he wants reading this book. And so when you know exactly who the reader want, who you want them to be, you can speak directly to them and to nobody else. So we don't want to write a book that's for everyone. We want to key in on this one type of person. More than that, we'll enjoy it, of course. But the key in is one type of person. In that case, Dr. Vedia's primary market is like a 45 to 50-year-old 50 50 male who is dealing with their parents' heart issues. They've ate like their parents did. And now dad's had a heart attack and mom's on three different blood pressure medic medications and isn't getting around anymore. And they both got arthritis and it seems like it might be diet related from what they're hearing about. And, oh no, maybe we shouldn't be eating the way that we've been eating. Oh, and now it's my turn. Oh no. And their doctor recently said, oh, it looks like um, you're elevated. Uh, there might be a problem here. You might want to check on that. I'll see you in a year. Get your statins. See you in a year. Just do whatever. Here's some statins. See you in a year. And they know, okay, something is wrong here. So within what Dr. Vita does, we introduce this solution. It's in the midst of the agitation. Here's how bad it can feel. Here's how it felt for me. I was the fat doctor. I was morbidly obese. Mm. I was in worse shape than many of the patients I was operating on, is, is how Dr. Vita's story go. But what I learned was, and introduced a solution now. So there's that rapport. It's like, oh, he's one of us. He's one of us. Anytime you can do that, that he's one of us or she's one of us, that's always effective. Uh, introducing the solution, this is where a lot of authors I find go wrong 
is they don't know what their exact system solution is. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, the book is kind of like a bunch of different things. You know, you could try this and you should do this. It's not like one coherent solution, one complete system, one full framework, one end-to-end tutorial, one step-by-step process to get to that particular outcome. It was difficult writing those types of books for people who didn't have a system because it was, it was complete chaos. They would just say, well, it's all mindset over and over and over, chapter after chapter. It's all, you just got to try hard. You just got to want it bad enough. It's all mindset, growth mindset. It's mindset after one chapter after the next. It doesn't get people anywhere. So what we recognized is before we wrote any of this, we worked on Dr. Ovedi's metabolic health system. And this is the same process. What is that system for a genius? And that's why I don't talk about how to write a book until the eighth chapter in this book, because it's all the foundational beliefs I want you to believe before you adopt the new behaviors to to adopt as part of becoming so good they call you a fake. I thought it was fascinating because it's true. Like probably Dr. Ovedia didn't verbalize his system before, but once he had one, this is what I call the spoken wheel approach. Like once you have that core of the wheel, you have spokes, you can have the book, the course, the, the video, the coaching business, the consulting business, the product, whatever. So what you essentially do is you create the wheels for these people who are geniuses at what they do. Dr. Ovedia is one example. There was an, uh, another example of a guy who's like the cheapest divorce lawyer around great example. There was one woman, I forget what exactly she was doing. What were some of the other examples in the book? Oh yeah. We talk about internet entrepreneurs and digital marketers and marketing agencies and business consultants and management consultants. No, but what were some of the other examples like Dr. Avedia? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So right after Dr. Avedia is Eric Anderton, who is a construction industry executive coach, leadership training consultant. He's doing very well for himself in that space, despite the fact that he's never been on a construction site in his life. He actually uh, is, a, is a historian, <laughs> if you can believe that. So wait a second, how do, you, how do you become a construction executive coach without ever having worked on a job site before? That's his situation. And yet he's got this complete system that is so effective. Not only is it a book, but what's happening is CEOs of these companies are flying him out and he's giving multiple day presentations on the book, teaching it to his staff and making sure that they get it and then they can go carry that into their day-to-day labor. He's he's a fantastic example. Why did he want to be a construction executive coach if he's never been on a construction site? Because it's the construction industry that builds the world Mm -hmm. from a, a literal perspective. Yeah. And so often the sorts of stories that resonated with him as a history teacher, as a professional historian, were people who were building the world in one way or another. Yeah. And so it's, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to go from reading about uh, an ancient king to whom the ancient king's architect was and building the vision of the king. And there is that natural transition from history to construction that might not be obvious until you learn about the sorts of stories that a, a historian might be learning about. What was the insight that he got from history that he was able to systematize to the modern day? It's that times change and people don't, and that the downfall of an empire is the same as the downfall of a construction company. Really, any company, but it's construction, particularly because of the resonance between the visionary and the one who builds the vision, and often literally. And it's construction executives who, they're an interesting breed, of, an interesting, uh, uh, breed because 
they see what's possible. And there's so much, so many shenanigans they have to put up with to go from, we see what this place could look like to, okay, well, then there's the, actually the, the, the zoning issues. And then there's a local government and there's a state government. What about federal government? What, what about, and it's just all of these things that have to get jumped through in order to produce the end result. And often the, the, the sorts of problems that plague that type of company, they are not practical business problems. They are leadership problems. It's mismanagement. It's all the sorts of things that Eric knows from studying history are problems and how to solve them. It's like the, the vizier giving uh, counsel to the, to the leader uh, and it's bad advice. And how do you deal with that situation in a real world, modern day construction sort of a scenario? It just, it just maps. And that's what's so cool about the system uh, approach is when you understand that you can be in a completely different industry but map your expertise onto another industry, you can become the authority in that niche just by building a system that's repeatable, produces predictable results. Now, a lot of people probably haven't heard of Dr. Philip Ovedia or Eric Anderton, and I try to shy away from my celebrity clients in the book because those are interesting to me and they're not useful to most people. I don't want to be a tabloid. What's right. most interesting is taking people that no one's ever heard of and they've become the authority in their niche how in the world does that happen? That's what's interesting. Yeah, and like, like I'm looking at Dr. Ovedia's Twitter account right now. He's got, you said he had 1,500 followers when you started working with him. He's got 56,000 followers right now. That's right. And one of the things that he does with, with his book is he repurposes content from the book as tweets and as, as threads and as video scripts. You know, what I'm interested in also is you have this chapter in the book on basically how to be a good coach. You know, so you talk about writing, you talk about ghostwriting, you talk about courses. But I am curious, like when it comes to what's the difference between a good coach and a bad coach? Yes. So this is the, the information environment from which I wrote that, that chapter is having done somewhat, something that looks like coaching myself. I'm not going to call it exactly coaching, but it's something like a, a coaching. It's like a coaching style offer. But also, so many coaches over the years have come to me to write their books, be it health, wealth, wellness, business, management, entrepreneurship, whatever the case may be. And I've seen the best and I've seen the worst. And what the, the worst do, now, this isn't in terms of results. Often, the most financially successful coaches are the worst actual coaches that I found. They've optimized for revenue over results. So they're the ones who have the funnels dialed in. And they're on all the platforms. And they're doing the major JV deals with everybody. It's the ones who are spectacular at what they do, charging like 50 bucks an hour, minimum two hours. Oh, and by the way, if you book four hours, it's half price. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? Even though they can create a miracle. Well, it looks like a miracle, but they're just using their expertise to do this. And to answer your question, good coach versus a bad coach, a bad coach is all hype. You gotta be motivated. You just gotta want it bad enough. You just gotta, you just gotta try. Mindset, mindset, mindset. I can't want this more than you do. And there's an opening story of a of an actual coach that said those words to me. And that mindset is quite common in the coaching. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're not paying for results. You're paying for my time is, a, is a, let's say a reframe that I hear often in the coaching space from the, the, the authors that I talk to who are coaches or coaches who are aspiring authors and why they want to do it different. And that's often why they come to me. Joshua, I'm an expert. Nobody gets results like I can, but nobody knows who I am. It's the, 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 the schmucks and the actual fakes who are at the top of the industry who are giving terrible advice to people. So often, ghostwriting clients of mine who are coaches, 
their clients are the failures of the famous coaches who washed up and couldn't make those systems work and then come to my clients and instantly checks out for them and they get the results. A good coach will not let you fail. A good coach makes failure almost impossible for you. And the example I give is one of my golf coaches that I had who used uh, elaborate, kind of ridiculous looking, perhaps uh, Groucho Marx style uh, products golf, but in the golf industry, map that metaphor onto golf, you could not hit a slice. It is not possible to hit a slice with this that apparatus that he would strap up and set up using products he probably paid less than 50 bucks for at Walmart or at the Home Depot setting these up. It's not possible to hit a slice. It was not possible for me to do it wrong. That's good coaching. It's not possible to do it wrong. And map that onto high-performance coaching or to business coaching, or to entrepreneurship, or to health, or to wealth. And you realize that it's not about wanting it bad enough, or, or using your willpower, being motivated. I can't want this more than you do, Joshua, the typical rah-rah coach. It is walking with the person to set up particular systems and safeguards and unbreakable rules around the issue they want to work on, so it's not possible for them to do it wrong. And then the coach is there to make sure that they keep that system, that they keep that rule in place, in present, in as real time as possible, rather than coaching calls, which are an annoyance, at least in the, the sphere that I hang out on uh, Twitter, coaches are, let's say, on the way out, because it is known that a coach is somebody you pay to tell you uh, that you don't want it bad enough, and then they'll collect their money, and they meet with you once a week, and then I'm available via the phone, and not actually getting results. And it's more like, well, I'm paying somebody for something, so I guess I feel like I'm making progress. It's really a cope, uh, is what it is, by and large. So like, if someone wants to be a coach, what's, what's the first thing they can take out of this uh, to, to basically become a better coach? Anyway, let's start with the end in mind. How, do, how, does your, uh, how does your student know that your coaching worked? That's the mm. first thing. And mm. that's the opening question, the binary, the black and white. How do they know it worked? Like, well, they either achieved their goal or they didn't. Now, this is, the, this is an alignment problem when it, with incentives. Coaches are incentivized to not get results because coaches get paid for the coaching, right? It's like therapy. Yes. So the idea is you need the person to, to, to suck as long as possible. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't get paid. So that's the first thing is you need to eliminate, okay, the longer people work with me, the more money I get paid. Oh, so therefore I should make sure my services don't work, but make people feel good about the motivation they get, but then dies immediately after the session. And then that's why I say that coaches who make the most money are doing that because they understand that if you just keep people hanging on, stringing them along long enough, you can drain them. They become a fantastic subscription product. So start with a completely different approach, which is I am a coach to get results. This is why I like hypnotists because it's after one, two, or three sessions, the problem is resolved. It's done. They don't, so the person never needed the expensive therapy for years and years because the issue is resolved. But start with the end in mind. How do they know it worked? And then you work backwards step by step with no step skipped. And now you imagine that somebody's going to be following this process. Where are they going to screw it up? Where are they going to screw up their process? And then what does it look like to prevent them from screwing themselves up? What is that, what is that process? So with the golf, the golf example, a step-by-step process from that perspective, is the golf swing. And the outcome is, did the ball go as far as it should have in the direction it should have if this person was any good? So, it's either, so it was either uh, 150 yards to the right in the woods or it was right down the center and was a beautiful shot. 
So there's not really any, well, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. No, we, we either see that it did or it didn't. So from his perspective, every movement that I make on the backswing and on the downswing, even the setup, there's the setup, there's the backswing, there's the top, and then there's the downswing, and there's the follow-through. Every stage of the way, I can screw something up as, as, the, as the person being coached. I can screw everything up. Now, uh, a coach who optimizes for revenue is only going to try to fix like one little thing at a time. Go, oh, you know, you, you did that. Next week, we'll work on this other thing. And then it's like, you know, six months later, um, I'm, I'm not slicing the ball as far, but I paid a lot of money to not slice the ball as far. Versus what this coach did, which is set up these sophisticated apparatuses around me as I'm doing the golf swing. So I have to take the club up to a certain spot, which is the correct spot. And I have to swing a certain way. And I have to follow through a certain way. It's not possible to screw it up. Those boundaries, those restrictions are what were so helpful. And then when you had to go on a real golf course, was there like muscle memory kicked in so that you know, it kept you in line, even though you didn't have the apparatus around you? Yes, he gave me specific drills to do. Drills that I could do over and over and over. And again, they look kind of ridiculous. Like, like what, is he, what is he doing over there? Do we need to call somebody? <laughs> you know, with the, those drills. But they, but they work. They bring what that was from the coaching experience into the real world. So think about if you, the coach, are not there with the person, they're executing themselves, what could be drilled into them to help make it second nature, to help the, the new way feel natural and the old way that was the old habit feel unnatural and even plain wrong? What can you do to make perfect execution or at least superior execution to what was they were previously doing like clockwork without them having to think about it, without them having to remember everything and pretend that you're, pretend that you're there? It's a completely different way to coach because it's not really about like asking questions like a lot of coaching is thought to be or like digging deep or in that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, well, what do you want? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not let you not get there. <laughs> and that's my job as the coach to not let you not get to where you want to go. That's my job. And so this is all, this is all great. So, so basically so good. They call you a fake by Josh Lisek, uh, command attention, monetize your talent stack and become the uncontested authority in your niche. It's really good advice because there's so many, I always complain about this in like the self-help space. Like there's so many BS self-help books, for instance, that don't really move the needle on what it is you want to accomplish in life. And that could be applied to anything, like whether it's health or, um, you know, any of the examples from your clients, golf, uh, you have the examples from the, the divorce lawyer, from the construction coach. Uh, basically what you do is you step-by-step -step tell people how to think about their core skills, the things that they're real, the, the, the core of what they're good at, how to, how to systematize what they're good at. And you teach people how to do that in this book. And then how to monetize it by looking at all the different spokes, whether it's book, course, coaching business, consulting business, speaking business, and, and so on. And I really love the title, So Good They Call You a Fake, because so many times I, like in the past 10, 15, 20 years, I would write something and the first comments I would get were like, oh, this must be fake or, or this guy's just lying. He, he writes fiction. Like this can't possibly be true. And I would be, I was so stupid. I would be arguing with them. Like, no, it's really true. Like I should have just let them babble on. Like, why did I even engage them? But better, better yet, share it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So like like you did, like you did. That was a great screenshot. Like it it draws you into the book. That was a great screenshot of that tweet of somebody calling you a fraud. Did you respond to that guy at all or no? I didn't respond directly, but I quote tweeted it and I said, "This is a teachable moment. Uh, Your results must appear so ridiculous that strangers online are calling you a fake." Yeah, right. Like the idea that a stranger would feel the need. By the way, and he was anonymous also. So an anonymous stranger would feel the need to take time out of their life and day to basically call you a fake when they're using the anonymous name, like they're one who's already fake. It's astonishing, really. And, and, and it's free marketing. It's free marketing. Right. And, and your point is, is that, hey, if you're that good, you should do this, which is organize your knowledge and skill sets so that you, know, you have your, your system. And then these are the step-by-step -step ways to monetize it. Like, again, I wish I had had this book like 10 years ago. Uh, it would have been very valuable to me. And, and I hope it will be valuable to the listeners. By the way, I also want to mention your newsletter that you send out on a daily basis or almost a daily basis is great. Like, I love, I love the stuff you talk about, like how AI impacts marketing agencies, just all, all, all your subjects. Like, uh, uh, you, you talk about writing books, you talk about book covers. You have one letter, which I haven't read yet, so maybe you can tell me about it right now. Yes, I work with Scott Adams. I didn't know that until I, I saw that. So what's what's the story with Scott Adams? Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that, uh, that that's tucked into the book uh, uh, somewhere. But um, uh, some people will recognize Monetize Your Talent Stack from the subtitle. Talent yeah, Stack yeah. is Scott Adams' term. We've been, we've been friends for maybe five years now, and I asked him, hey, can I use that? Because there's not really a, a better term than talent stack for that. And he said, yeah, that's great. Um, but I'm, I'm working with him on uh, Reframe Your Brain, his new, his new book. That's a lot of fun. He's been saying good things about me for years. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's been great. Uh, he's so much fun, so easy to work with. And we'll, we'll be doing some other stuff together as well, in addition to uh, this book. But he's, uh, he, he, he's great. And what, what projects are you working on right now? For you in general, obviously you're launching this book, so you're going to be marketing this book for a while. What's next? Yes, so I've I've been testing with this with my own book launch things that are a little risky that I wouldn't necessarily recommend other people do. That I have so I haven't advised other clients to do this yet. So I'm being a guinea pig my myself. And one of the things I'm going to guinea pig is in a very expensive book club with it, a very expensive book club. Well, more expensive than a book club is usually perceived as, which should be you know free, right? right. But something like. $1,000 to take six weeks to read the book, and I will advise you to implement everything through chapter seven to build your genius system. That's so good. You can monetize it. You can productize it in anything, and you can become so good they call you a fake. Thousand bucks, I'll, I'll coach you through that, and we'll have a bunch of different people in it. I don't know if it's going to work. How, how, how much, if you're going to be advising everybody, how much can you scale that? It's not quite scalable. The first iteration of something is never scalable. <laughs> All right, that's, by the way, that is yeah. good business advice. I like that. Yes. So that's that, but that's going to be a test because if it works, I'm going to advise several of my clients to do that going forwards. Well, it's interesting because you know, Scribe Media just recently shut down, and you know we've had people from Scribe Media on on here quite a bit, like uh, including Tucker Max, the founder, and uh, Javon McCormick, who was the CEO until the the shutdown, but it seems like there's a, an open space now in the market of helping experts get their books published. Yes, yes. And I enjoy working with people as a, as a ghostwriter, and we also do what's called ghost publishing. And that's where we like, like I did this for Dr. Avedia. What I'm holding in my hand right now is the dust jacketed hardcover, right? Like we didn't just do his book. We did his book. 
and also right. the audiobook and the launch of everything and getting podcasts booked and all that fun stuff for Dr. Ovadia. And I, I call that ghost publishing because it's kind of like ghostwriting where someone does all the work for you, not just with the writing, but with the publishing as well. But we've we've launched something new that is scalable that we that we know of. It's a cohort, a done-with-you version of the Joshua Lysak experience called Authority Accelerator. And of course, we have author in the word authority is really set apart uh, there. And the idea is to produce an authority book in five months. But the roles are reversed. I'm not writing it. The members of the cohort are. And I am the person who's not letting them not do it right. So I'm taking my own advice for the coaching here. So that means I tell them, here's your book idea. Here's the title and subtitle. Here's your table of contents. Here's how you're going to open chapter one. Here's So I tell them. And that aspect of it is more scalable. And so it's my yeah. brain in a coaching done with you sort of a cohort experience. And they, we still produce the book at the end with the ghost publishing aspect. So it is an application only thing because there's some people who they don't have a talent stack. They don't have the makings of a system to document yet. They're just not a good fit for it because then that makes my job too hard. <laughs> we need actual experts to turn into authorities. If you're not an expert, it's not for beginners, like I like to say. Well, it, it, this is so great. I, I like that you're applying your own techniques to yourself and to and to help others. And uh, again, the book is so good. They call you a fake. Great insights and great stories in the book. And of course, great writing. You're Josh Lisek has written 78 books. You're a great ghostwriter and you've written your own books. Where can people find you and your newsletter also? Yeah, best place is uh, LysekGhostwriting.com or my, my, all of my shenanigans are over on Twitter, at Josh Lysek. And of course, so good they call you a fake, available on Amazon. Thanks so much, Josh. Once again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I'm glad you came on. Thank you. Thank you. 